gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! The Jets played an entire half of football on Sunday, and at the end of that half of football, the New York Jets led the football game. If that's not progress, I don't know what is. Sure, they didn't score again, barely gained Makai Becton's weight in the second half in yardage, but... <laughs> but they led this game at halftime. Welcome to the Athletics Can't Wait podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and our producer, Marissa Morris. We're going to get to all of that stuff. Um, give us a five-star rating if you're tuning in on Apple and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We're going to get to the decision to to go with Dial Loggins to make the play calls. We'll talk about Mims. We'll talk about P. Ryan, all that stuff. But before we get to that, Connor, you got a new phone, so we got to check in on that. A little A little tech for the tech nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys know I'm into tech. In fact, like I, I'm ordering as we speak on Amazon because we had that issue a couple weeks ago with my Wi-Fi cutting in and out. And it's because like when Bree and I moved in together, like and anyone who has moved in with a with their significant other probably has realized this and especially one with a strong personality like Bree. Um, and and I'm sure that that uh, Marissa's boyfriend, future fiance is going to go through this same fiasco. Is that like when you set things up in the house, you don't do it necessarily the way that things are supposed to be done. You do them the way that you know your significant other wants them done. So when I was at the apartment when Bree and I first moved together, this apartment, the the wife, the um, Verizon FiOS guy came in and he was installing like putting FiOS in our house or our apartment, blah blah blah. And he goes, okay, he goes, so where do you want the router? And I was like, well, we have our entertainment system over here. My plan is to hardline everything, like my uh playstation xbox all that stuff i want the box in here and the guy goes oh, he goes i'm gonna have to put holes in walls and it's gonna have to link because it's gonna come in from the bedroom and then come over and as soon as i heard holes in walls my brain immediately went to Bree's gonna fucking kill me no i can't <laughs> put holes in these walls now even though like the tv's mounted to the wall and there's holes here and like no 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 like i can't put holes in the wall. i was like no 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 we can't do that she's not here i can't ask if that's okay just do it in hindsight, what the guy meant was like a pee hole hiding the cable underneath the rug. He just didn't want to do the work. Like he just, he just, he was lazy. He just wanted to get in and out. So he was trying to discourage me. It totally worked because I started freaking out. So we have our Wi Fi modem in our bedroom. We have three sets of walls before you get to where it is. So like that 5G internet that I'm paying out my ass for, like it's dead. <laughs> By the time it gets to like where, so I'm having like 20 meg of internet by the time I get to like my family room. So finally I got pissed. Like I called up my dad, who's like a big tech geek like I am. I was like, man, I was like, we got to do something. So basically like it would have been a whole hell of an issue to like literally take the modem because of the, we also have Fios cable and like run it all the way through. So we basically put like a switcher out there, blah, blah, blah. So like my big tech project right now that I'm doing is for the Wi-Fi shenanigans that we had last week or two weeks ago from trying to, is I'm putting a switcher in my office the hardline cable, I'm like just hardlining everything. So we're never going to have any issue with Wi-Fi anymore because everything's going to be hardlined. But I did also get the phone, which we were talking about, obviously. And um, I think my big thing with this man is like, I like it. I needed it because I had the iPhone XS and I'm always, I, everything I have is Mac. Like I'm doing this on a MacBook Pro. My iPad's sitting next to me. My other work MacBook Pro is next to me and my iPhones. And I have my Apple Watch. So like everything communicates with each other. My whole thing though is like, honestly, the jump from like XS to this one Aside from the camera and like your every single year they talk about better speeds, better battery lives. Like aside from all of that, I don't really see that big of a difference. Like I needed to upgrade because my 10s after I after I updated it to the newest um, iOS, 
it was starting to overheat and starting to get finicky and like the two year the two year barrier Mm -hmm. is a yeah so i hit it so i was like i need a new phone it has to be done i was able to trade in two phones like get it really cheap but like as far as like what this phone does don't get me wrong the pictures are freaking ridiculous the videos are freaking ridiculous but like it's the same phone and like that's my biggest issue with like apple and like ever since like uh uh jobs died is like that's what drives me crazy is it's like this the apple used to be so revolutionary every year they used to do something that like blew your mind and you're like oh my god how does my phone do this oh my god i mean just look at what phones looked like before apple and the fact that now every single one of them looks in some variation like this every single phone whether it's the galaxy whether it's the google pixel they all look in some way shape or form like this it's based off of the apple which was the first people to say no more buttons it's all it's all going to be touchscreen and like i use this phone now though and like nothing has really changed that makes me say like holy crap this is so okay yeah it's a better camera but like that's all that better cameras have been the point of phones like every single year so i'm honestly a little pissed off with it just because i have it and i'm like there's still nothing that's new. There's still nothing that makes me say like, wow, look what Apple did. And it's been that way forever. And it's like, the one thing that really pisses me off is how like back when like Jobs was running, it was always like, make it smaller, make it smaller, smaller, smaller. It can be thinner. It can be smaller. We can get the same power in a smaller picture. And now they're like, no, let's just put an iPad in your pocket. Let's make it the biggest. It's just, <laughs> it just, it drives me like the iPhone pro max. Like I was looking at it when I was there and I'm like, I don't need this. I have an iPad. Like, why do I want something this big? It doesn't even fit in my pocket. Like, why would I want this? And then I look at this. I'm like, all right, I get home. I have it. Start it up. Fire it up. And I'm like, okay. Aside from the iOS, which is new and cool, and I love the little widgets that you can do and all that stuff. I'm looking at. It, I was like, I don't. I don't see anything here. Like, it's. It was a little. It's. I'm a little depressed with it. I'm. I'm happy it's upgraded. I'm happy it's running smoothly again. But I'm a little. Uh, I'm a little depressed with the whole thing. If I'm being honest with you. Yeah, that's a, really the the only thing that you get that's new now with Apple products is like some kind of new adapter that doesn't work with anything else so that you need like three dongles to make anything work with your computer. But yeah, definitely. I, I sense the frustration. I'm still on the 11. Uh, so I have a year before it doesn't work anymore because of that two year factor. But all right, let's get to the Jets because the offense did work for a drive on Sunday, and we want to talk about that. Connor Dow Loggins uh, calling the plays, and that was the big news early in this game was that he had taken that over, and Adam Gase is spending more time, you know, paying attention to the defense, talking to individual players on the offense, and for a half, or not even really a half, but for a, a chunk of that first half, it felt like, okay, now we're on to something. Of course, then the second half came, which we'll get to. But in your mind, what was different about the play calling with Loggins that allowed them to go on? I mean, really, the one drive was seven plays, 80 yards, and the touchdown that kind of gave, I think, all Jets fans a glimmer of hope. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what was, <laughs> honestly, maddening looking at once Dowell took this thing over and once Dowell started uh, started doing his thing and calling the plays is that a lot of what the Jets were doing, a lot of the things that were leading to success in that first half, a lot of the things that were leading to big plays and chunk plays and things of that nature were the things that we've been talking about them doing and how they should be doing it forever, man. Like, they were getting the young guys involved. It was P. Ryan, not Gore. It was... Uh, throwing the ball to Mims. It was the motions, right? Like how many times did you see guys coming in motion? You saw 
uh, RPOs. You saw read options, although it didn't work on the fourth and one. But still, like you saw these little intricacies. And the one thing I loved more than anything else is you saw Sam getting out of the pocket and moving. Like you saw him getting out because where Sam is so great and it's kind of a little funky and I'm not terribly sure why, but like he's most comfortable when he's moving. He's most comfortably on the run. He's most comfortable when everything else is breaking down. Like the perfect pocket, set your feet, make the throw. That's usually where he has these random physical breakdowns. It's where he doesn't position his feet the right way, but he still tries to contort his body and it goes wide and the pass is errant. Like when everything is perfect and where everything is like that perfect little Petri dish for a quarterback to have success, that's where Sam goes like, no, this doesn't work. And like does something silly. But like when he's out moving, when he's got the pressure, when he has to like kind of finagle his body and move it a little bit and then deliver a pass like he did to Mims on his very first completion, that was where everything was not right he still made the play and and you can maximize his ability to do that by getting him out moving, getting on the run, getting him on boots on, on, on little, like, you know, kind of just come around the pocket and then throw. And that's what the jets were doing. You saw, like I said, him moving out of the pocket. You saw the guys in motion. You saw the young guys getting involved and the jets started moving the ball up and down the field. And what was so frustrating is that this is what we've been calling for the jets to do for the last year and a half. It was what we called for the jets to do all of last season, what we called for the jets to do the first six weeks of this season. And it took that new guy, that new voice, that new someone to talk about or someone to call the play, someone else in there to make those adjustments, make it happen and eventually lead to some first half success. Look, the jets put up 10 points and I know that's like just on the pace for 20 and that's like a very low level scoring offense but for the, for how bad the Jets have been that actually seemed like an accomplishment and if you take into consideration the fact that they were a one yard away from picking up another first down and potentially a touchdown in the red zone this could have been 17 points in the first half I mean the first drive also stalled it could have been 21 points I mean the Jets yeah. were moving the ball up and down the field 186 yards in the first half that's on pace for over 300 for the first time this year which again when you saw Sunday night both the Cardinals and uh, Seahawks putting up over 500 it's a very low bar to clear we're talking about pedestrian offensive numbers but for this team that would have been a step in the right direction and I honestly do believe that Dowell calling the plays and Adam not overthinking everything where he's kind of still having his pulse on the game and managing the game and also what's the defense doing and then calling the plays and then putting together the game plan and working with the quarterbacks. I think taking some off of his plate and allowing him to be um, head coach Adam Gase with then offensive coordinator Dal Loggins for at least 30 minutes, it worked. And and like I said, man, they, they, were, they scored 10 points. They had a chance to add at least three or seven more if they didn't convert that fourth down. And then they had the ball at the end of the half with a chance to drive down the field and score again. But Sam, as he does every single one of his games, threw a pass that makes you say, what the hell was that? And it was picked off. So that brings up another question, though, right? The first half was good, and Dow Loggins was calling the plays and doing the right things. But then halftime comes adjustments come McDermott's a very good defensive mind on the other side and obviously he made some changes here and then the Jets failed I mean this is beyond like failing to adjust to what the other team does four yards Connor four yards in the second half is I mean fall forward a couple times and you're gonna get four yards Um, so why can't for for an offensive coaching staff that is Brilliant. I'll say use it. the word. Yep. Say it. Say it. <laughs> yep. Say it. How can they not change? How can they not know the adjustments are coming and go a different direction in the second half for some sort of progress? That's That's been the bugaboo for the Jets for the last year and a half. It's that this team 
goes in the locker room and there's never those halftime adjustments. There's never though, okay, this is working and that happened. You know, if, if football is chess, man. It's a cliche, but that's the fact. It's like you're anticipating what your your opponent's going to do. Then when your opponent does it, you react to it. And you're constantly adjusting to what he's doing, what you're doing, and you're trying to find like that advantage. And for the Jets, it's almost like they put together game plans, and they have the last year and a half. They've put together some game plans that in the first half work. Like they are working. They're moving the ball. They're effective. The run game's there. The receiving game's there. The pass or the passing game there. The run game there. They're blocking well. Like things are working. Then they go in at half. The defense says, okay, they go, you know, the opposing defense goes in and says, okay, this is what they're doing. This is how we believe we can stop it. First two drives of the half, Jess comes out trying to do the same exact thing, doesn't work. Instead of then adjusting to the adjustments, which is what Sam Darnold alluded to when he talked to us on, on Zoom after the game, they just don't do that. The Jets' adjustments to Sean McDermott's adjustments are plays that result in one single first down, plays that lead their quarterback to complete one pass in the second half. Sam completed one single pass in the second half. They gained four total yards. Like that is ridiculous. Even go back even after that interception, right? The Sam Darnold Sam Darnold throws that there was that terrible interception, right? The Jets had six possessions after that interception from Sam Darnold. Zero points, 25 yards, four punts, and two additional picks. Or two picks. Or after that touchdown, I'm sorry. So Sam, the Jets score that touchdown, right? They move down the field, they score that touchdown. After that touchdown, they had six possessions. Zero points, 25 yards, four punts, and two interceptions. That's what they did after the end. That's what they did after their touchdown drive. Then not only you go in the half and you come out with four yards, one first down, and your quarterback completes one pass. Like, that is just, and I granted one was called back because of Mekhi Becton's illegal formation, but still, that's like, holy cow. Like, that is just, like, this Jets offense has been bad this year. Like, this Jets offense has has struggled. They've had their issues. They've had their problems. Every week seems to be something else. But in that second half, I haven't seen this offense look worse than what it did. I have never seen an offense look worse than what the Jets did in the second half of that game against the Bills. Four yards. I'll be honest, man. If you ran me into the middle of the line every single play, every single play for a second half, I can probably get at least 10. Like, just by running straight forward. Just running straight forward, hoping I fall forward enough. can probably get at least 10. They had four all half. That is just, it's my, it is, it is mind-blowing. And we talk about, like, every week, man, we talk about it where it's, you know, they reach new depths of of rock bottom. They redefine rock bottom. This was one where, like, for how they looked in that first half, to go in the locker room and come out with how they looked in the second half, I didn't think that, I did not know that was possible. I, I truly didn't know, didn't know that was possible. And, and you can't really blame Adam Gase for this one because he wasn't the one calling the plays. And I don't know, unless now you want to not have Dowell call the plays, you want to have Jim Bob Cooter call the plays. I, I don't, I don't know, but woof, woof, man, that was, that was something else. And Gase did not, um, I, he said basically we're week to week on the play calling. So you wonder if that second half made him think, oh, I can do I can do better than that, which he's proven throughout the season that he can't. But um, it'll it'll be interesting to see where they go with that next week, specifically to Darnold. Um, you know, he was 11 for 13, 116 yards early on, then one for 10 for the four yards later. So the, the mixed numbers there is terrible. Um, you mentioned the bad throw that we've come to expect. Um, then there was also the great throw that we've come to also expect. For this one, it was right third and 20. Everyone knows they're passing. 
and Darnold with a perfect pass to Berrios to, to kind of find space for 23 yards and a first down. And at that point, everybody's saying, here he is. This is the guy. This is that that top draft pick that we got that can lead this team. But then there's so much of the other stuff. That's what it is. That's Sam. That's 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 the Sam we've seen over the last three years, two plus years. That that's that's Sam Darnold. That is who he is. He's the guy that is going to make throws. To he's he's he has the physical talent that you're gonna see two, three, four, five plays every single week where you're like, holy cow! Look what this guy just did. Look at the look at that throw. Look at that accuracy. Look at that escapability. The the touchdown pass he threw to Barrios. I think it was against the 49ers, was it, where he rolls out left and then throws across his body like that for it. You know, the the play against the Packers his rookie year. You know, the plays against the Cowboys when he first came back out of mono. I mean, every single game he plays, even the worst of them, with the exception of maybe that the seeing ghost Patriots game, every single other game you can flip on the film and you can find three to five Sam Darnold passes a game that just you look at it and you're like, wow. Just, just wow. But what has prevented Sam from taking like that next step is what the mean is, like what the middle point is. Because if you take away the high of the highs and you take away the low of the lows and you look at just what his average is, it's very pedestrian if that. It's not very good if that. I mean, the guy finished yesterday with a completion percentage of 50%, a quarterback rating under 30. I mean, that's just, that's not good. And when, I, I don't care Who's calling the offensive plays? I don't care who you're working with. An NFL quarterback is not supposed to complete one pass in two full quarters. Like that's that's worse than Geno Smith bad. Like that's not that's 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 Geno never did that. Geno never did that. And Geno was playing with worse weapons than what Sam had to deal with on Sunday. Geno had worse people calling plays for him than Sam does at some point. And Geno never even did that. I mean, Tim Tebow, I don't think ever even did that. Like that is that's terrible. Like that is one completion and a half. That's not good. That's that's really bad. And that's what drives you so nuts about Sam Darnold is that you get these high of highs. You get these passes where you're like, man, is this it? You get these strings of play or, or series of plays where it is one series, two series, maybe a quarter or a half. But as you're doing it and you're watching him, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're just waiting for that other play to happen that makes you say, ugh. Sam, what are you doing? And it was, forget the actual interception that he threw, where it was off his back foot into triple coverage and it's picked off. The play before that was a near pick six as well. Tremaine Edmonds almost catches that ball and runs it the other way for a touchdown. And that was another bad throw from Darnold. You know, there was in the first half even, uh, on the play where the Jets had to settle for the field goal, Denzel Mims on the snap. Sam Darnold takes the snap. Denzel Mims is wide open on a little like swing route on the play into the flat. Like, he's wide open. Like, there was no defender. And if Sam sees it and recognizes the coverage, it's a bang-bang play. He takes a snap, throws it to Mims. Mims isn't even just getting the first down on that field goal series. He's probably getting to the end zone for a touchdown. Like, he was that open. The entire Bills defense went right. Mims leaked out left. He was there. Sam doesn't throw to him. Sam misses him. Or Sam holds... I'm sorry. Sam's looking all the way right, then comes back to Mims when it's too late and the pass is incomplete. Like, there are all of these plays every single week where it's like... In year three, that shouldn't still be happening. And I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if it's the playmakers. You can make all these excuses built in for Sam. But at some point, some of it is on the quarterback too. And when you play an entire second half and you complete just one pass, that's not just the playmakers around you because the Jets had their full complement of playmakers. That's not just the coaching staff coaching staff because the coaching staff showed in the first half their plays can work. That's on the quarterback. 
And I don't know, maybe his shoulder got tightened when he went back. I don't, I don't know. But like, this is the whole thing with Sam. You get the good and you love the good and you're obsessed with the good and you marvel at the good, but you're constantly waiting for that second shoe to drop because every single game he has played throughout his career, including maybe his best game of his career against the Cowboys in his return from mono game, there's always that throw that makes you say, what was that? You know, in Dallas, it was the interception he threw in the red zone with the Jets driving to take full control of that game. I think they were going to go up three or four scores. He throws the pick where he forces the ball. There's that pass every single week. And sometimes the defense makes it. Sometimes the defense doesn't. But those throws are always there. And it's what's preventing him from taking the next step. And it's not just his time at the Jets. I mean, that's who he was in college at USC, too. That was the problem coming out, was right. The, the mistakes, the interceptions he would throw, and the Jets thought oh, yeah. they could fix that. So far, they have not fixed that. All right, back to the offense, back to the positives. Um, and, and I will say this. I'm overly, I'm always impressed, Connor, before we get to the offense, about Jets fans in general, because this season, it's been so bad, right? Um, and I was reading your story, your kind of recap of the game where you kind of went into the drive and the positives that came from that. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll then, rip them today. I'll rip them today. But like, <laughs> I just, I said, I, you I even teased Chris, that, I right? Like, Done. Yeah. But in the comments section, it's, it's great you see the feedback from Jets fans because they're like, ah, oh, it was just so great. And there's this positivity. Now, it wasn't all positive, but from a lot of people who read the story commenting, there's a positivity that, that a lot of Jets fans we're able to take out of that game despite how bad the season is going. And of course, all of them have kind of their their eyes on Trevor Lawrence, of course, for next season. But it's just encouraging as a, as a person who's not a Jets fan to just see that um, they can look past just how bad this team is and continue to be fans of this team. I'm always impressed. But something I, to be I, excited about. What did you say? In my opinion, I think it's honestly just sad. And I'm not talking about it's sad for Jet fans. I'm talking about it's sad for, for people. But they haven't been it's, given it's, more. No, it's right. just a sad – it's the sad state of this team, man. And, yeah. like, I think the, the perfect way to describe it is that first half. And, and like I said, when I wrote that game or after – or I wrote the column after the game, which I got caught by – like, you talk about people. And I, I need to just I, – I, I finally took the mentions, my mentions, off of my tweet deck. But occasionally after I write a story, I do go and like I, I look at what people are saying on the comments of my story just to see what is like I because usually honestly I get a lot of story ideas from fans. Like people will say, like, you know, oh, I wish you touched upon this. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I never even thought about that, but now I can spend the next, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go through and I look through them because it's just it's good, honestly, information. And the first thing I see, like the first or second comment I see on that damn story from yesterday, which again, like when I go to write it, like I messaged my editor, I was like, man, I was like, look, dude. I don't feel like ripping every one of the organization again. I was like, why don't we just focus on the positive? Because for that drive, like, it, which was the whole premise of the story, is like, it's not that the Jets had a touchdown drive. It's not that the Jets went 80 yards. I mean, like, the Giants are an atrocious team. They went on a 98-yard touchdown drive on Thursday night against the Eagles. The the Chiefs are an amazing team, and they have, like, seven, seven plays for 80-yard drives five, six, seven, eight times a game. Like this happens all the time. So like yep. to to praise the Jets for doing that, it's kind of like a backhanded compliment or like a slap in the face. Like, oh, wow, you look like that's not what I was trying to do. It was how the Jets got down the field. It was the fact that they made their way all the way down there featuring Denzel Mims, LaMichael P. Ryan, Makai Becton looked like an absolute stud. Sam Darnold was making passes. And then even Perryman was getting in the action by going down the field and drawing pass. Like, that's what you want to focus on. And, like, you know, we got on Joe Douglas and the Joe Douglas cam in Miami. But, like, this was one where, like, I wish they had a camera on him because you he would have been going nuts because, like, these are his 
offensive draft picks, the guys that he picked thinking about being the future of this team, and they were making plays. Like, that's what stood out to me. So I said to Chris, I was like, look, man, we do the day after story. We do, like, the ex-additional thoughts. I'll go into, like, what happened in the second half, Dowell Loggins, the defense, like, all this stuff. Like, we'll get into all that. But, like, why don't we just focus on this one drive and it being the promising aspect of it, not because the Jets actually scored, but how the Jets scored with the players that they used. Because these are guys, P. Ryan, Mims, Becton. They're guys that when the Jets are conceivably contending and in the playoffs, these are going to be the guys that Joe Douglas believes are a key piece of that. You know what I mean? But, like, what was so sad about this and what was so kind of a little depressing about this is I was sitting next to Andy Vasquez, who covers the Jets for the record, one of my best friends on the beat, uh, one of my closest friends, honestly, just in life. And I'm sitting next to him, and I'm like, dude, I was like, I'm watching this first half, and I'm like Mr. Positive like pig. Like, just like, this is awesome. Look at them moving the ball. Look at them scoring points. Look, I'm like, this is the best I've seen the Jets look in years. Like, this is great. Look how great they look. And then all of a sudden, I kind of like, the first half is coming to a close. And like, I look down, and I'm like, they're on pace for like, 320 yards of offense. <laughs> exactly. They have 10 points. Like, Sam is still averaging only like 6.3 in attempt. I was like, this is a off day for the Chiefs. This is a bad day for the Ravens. This is like the lowest of lowest. I feel like this is the best I've seen the Jets look in decades. And this, I mean, obviously not decades. Like, that's, I'm being dramatic. But like, this is the best I've seen the Jets look. And it's like not good still. It's just not, they're just not like losing their minds with ineptitude. It's just competence. Like competence makes it feel like they're the 2000 Rams. Like that's honestly what it is. And, and that's why you see some of these like, oh man, I was so impressed by the first half. So I was like, man, but like when you, it's sad, it's sad. And it's like, it just kind of, illustrates. the one thing I will give Joe Douglas credit for, the one thing I'll give the coaching staff credit for is that, you know, Look at Dallas, right? Like Dallas is 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 about as bad as the Jets are right now. In fact, if the Jets played the Cowboys with Andy Dalton, if he comes back from that vicious, completely illegal hit, if the Jets played the like if they played him with Dak, there's no choice, but we're no hope. But if they played him with Andy Dalton, I honestly believe the Jets would beat the Cowboys. Like I've seen some Cowboy games now. The Cowboys are a disaster, and you're starting to see those players quit. You're seeing those players give up. You're seeing those players turn on each other. You're seeing those players start to leak things to the media about how they're unhappy and the coaching staff doesn't know what they're talking about. Like, that's the sign of not only a bad football team, but a bad football team that is fracturing in the locker room and quitting on each other. What you can say about the Jets is that they are a bad team. They don't have the talent to compete week in and week out. They don't have the coaching staff to elevate the play of the players they have to get them to the point. So it's like the double-edged sword where not only are you not talented to compete, but you don't have the coaching staff to get you to play above your talent level. They're still a team and they're still not quitting. They're not turning on each other. They're not pointing. They're not, they're not doing all those things. They're at least still together and sticking together, which is I think the one legitimate positive bright spot to, to a season that man, it sure as hell looks like this team's going 0 16. Hold on. I just need to chime in on this because I'm just seeing this on, on Twitter <laughs> since I'm operating Connor's Twitter currently. <laughs> oh, oh, you want to just, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, oh, what? No, Are they like calling me out for no. talking and so tweeting at the Steve same time? Steve McClendon had a really good game yesterday, apparently. He did, He yeah. played in 25 snaps and he had five tackles. He had one he practice did. with the Bucks. And not only that, I think that's like a season high for an interior defensive lineman. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read Rick Stroud. I think I saw his tweet said that was a 
the season high for an interior defensive lineman. Yeah. Well, then, which is and, something else. <laughs> yeah, and related, same kind of thing, right? Ryan Tannehill just looks like a fantastic quarterback. And Robbie. And we and said, I mean, all the these players that, players that leave, had, yeah. but this is this is showing the other side of the ball when they leave. So right, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's you leave the Jets and or, he literally had like one practice with the Bucks this week, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, but. it's the one positive though is he's just back in Todd's defense. So he had one practice True. with the Bucks, but True. he played True. three years for Todd. Right, I think this was his fourth year with the Jets. True. So he played three years with Todd, two years with Todd. So he does know some, but I mean, yeah, it's just another guy. And Le'Veon breaking off a 16-yard run in his first carry. I'll tell you what, I lost. I don't. I don't prop bet generally. Like the one that I feasted on last year was when DraftKings hated Jamison Crowder, and they had like his over under of catches at two and a half for like six weeks. And the guy was always good for like five or six grabs for like 40 or 50 yards, like last year, even when the Jets stunk. So I was feasting on that Crowder over two and a half for quite a while. Uh, I was so convinced yesterday Le'Veon was going to score. I was so convinced. And they got him down there twice. And he was in the red zone. And they just had, they had to kick field goals. But if they got inside the five, I was like, they're going to give the ball to Le'Veon. And he's going to score. So I had him on, like, first touchdown score. And I had him on um, just scoring in general. And I lost both those bets. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to double down on that this week when the Jets <laughs> play the Chiefs. Because there is no doubt in my mind that dude is getting in the end zone. He might get in the end zone multiple times. Yeah. Uh, well, all um, these things are just examples of why there needs to be a new coaching staff here in New York, obviously, again. There All right, I did want to... There will be. I There's want... going to be a new coaching staff. There right, be. of course. I did want to get into Mims a little bit more specifically. We talked uh, briefly about him, but four catches, 42 yards, all in the first half. One reason for that, the Bills, after the break, put Tredavious White on him basically the whole time. They just said, okay, lock him down. So suddenly Mims gets a feel for the NFL, looks pretty good, and then he's facing a Pro Bowl cornerback the whole second half, which is great because it's it shows that he impressed the Bills as well. And that's just an immediate learning experience. Now, granted, he had one target in the second half, so he wasn't getting open against White, but it's his first we'll NFL game. And him, yeah. and he was he didn't back down, right? There was trash talking, according to Mims, throughout that second half. Now <laughs> it's one thing to trash talk. It's another trash talk and then catch a pass maybe. But, you know, hopefully that comes. But I think it's all positives with Mims, even with the down second half, because of the reasoning for why that was. I mean, facing a Pro Bowl cornerback in your first NFL game, you're going to struggle. Well, that's I think that's the most that, – that you want to take like a legitimate positive out of this game, that's it. It's that, you know, you can have the Jets gush and glow about Denzel Mims. You can have Sam Darnold gush and go, Jordan Jang. I mean, everyone was like ranting and raving about all these catches that Denzel was – oh, my God, you should have seen this catch that he made in practice. And, and blah, like, when I hear it, I'm like, okay, well, the Jets secondary sucks. So, congrats, he caught one on Lamar Jackson. Like, right. well, big deal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm getting there excited. But still, show it to me on game days. What you can take legitimate solace in if you're a Jets fan and be legitimately excited about and fired up about and pumped up about is that you are now have a guy that because of the first half that he had where he went four for 62 on six targets, because of that first half, Sean McDermott is one of the better defensive minds, said, I need to take my best corner and put him on him. My best corner needs to be on the rookie to take him out of the game. I don't care about Perryman. Don't care about Berrios. I have to put my best corner on Mims and have him shadow Mims throughout the game. That's how we need to slow the Jets' offense is put my best on Mims. And I remember, I've talked to people over in, in the Jets building. I've talked to them about Mims. And the one thing that I've, I've gotten back from, from them about this kid, and it was the one quote that like stood out to me, was that this guy oozes, oozes swagger. 
that he is so, so confident, not cocky, not, not, you know, Terrell Owens or, um, he's not like that. He's not where he's like, Oh, I'm the best in the league. It's, it's when he says it, he says it in a way that makes you believe it. And that's the difference between like arrogance and being cocky and swagger and confidence is that when you say something, somebody believes it. It's not like you're just saying it because, you know, you, you want to like boast your own profile or you want to make people feel it. You're saying it because you genuinely believe it. And your belief in yourself makes somebody else say, no, that, that mother effort is good. Like that kid can play. And his teammates, Minz's teammates are gravitating towards him. Like there was a play when he was still working on the practice squad, like when he was, or not the practice squad, when he was still working with the scout team while he was on the injured reserve, where he made this touchdown grab in the end zone. And after he made the touchdown grab, his entire team swarmed to him, screaming, yelling, running after him, going after him, slapping on that. Like literally guys ran from the sideline to come celebrate with Mims, making a touchdown grab on the scout team offense. Like that's the kind of personality that's infectious. That's the kind of personality that guys love. That's the kind of person that people want to be around, right? I mean, that's like when you talk about leaders and you mentioned guys that like, you know, the right culture, Joe Douglas is that big culture guy, right? That's the kind of culture he's talking about because it's somebody that people want to be around. It's somebody in the locker room that is, it's not, it's not like Jamal Adams with a forced leadership. It's not like where Jamal Adams would scream and yell and make, you know, joke about how he doesn't know undrafted rookies names. Like, you know, I'm the leader. I'm the best player. Like it's not, it's not an act. It's natural and it comes natural. And that's the kind of player Mims is. And you know, that all like checks all the off field boxes. But then when the guy gets on the field, when the guy sees real game action, game reps for the first time in his in his in his career, he's never gone 100% full speed against a Pro Bowl NFL corner before, and he goes out there in the first half, catches four of six targets for uh, 62 yards, uh, could have had over 70 and a touchdown had Sam seen him on that on that third down play, right. and then is performing so well that not the Jets talking and glowing about him, but the opposing defense says I need to put my best DB on him. It's it's a, a it's a legitimate positive sign where it makes you say, okay, what's he going to do next week against the Chiefs? And now it's like it's actually something to watch. It's something to watch and monitor and, and analyze his development. And you know who knows? Maybe he can he can develop into a number one option for Trevor Lawrence in in six or seven months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But you're right; it, it gives fans something to to check out every week. They almost need like the the Mims cam now, so you don't have to watch the rest of the game. <laughs> just focus in on, yeah. on his routes play to play. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, let's get to the defense a little bit. Um, six field goals, six for eight for Buffalo, which let's be honest, should be enough to, to win a football game if your defense holds the other team to 18 points. But we've learned through seven weeks that 18 points is way too much if the Jets are going to win a football game. Um, the defense overall, I mean, when you look at the numbers, Allen threw for over 300 yards. He ran for, I think, over 60 yards. Beasley had 112 yards receiving. I mean, the individual stats aren't great, but this defense was able to at least, within the red zone, get strong and keep the Bills out of the end zone. When you look back on it, Connor, is it a positive overall what the Bills' defense did on Sunday? Yeah, I I don't... I, I don't I can't I can't get a read on if this was the Jets defense playing well or if this was the Bills just losing two games in a row to two good teams coming to MetLife Stadium and saying all right well at least we'll have our get right game against the Jets you know we don't we we well it's the Jets we'll, we'll beat them we'll beat them by four or five scores and and we can have our get right game you know like all like the longest yard where where the uh, 
what is it? The inmates play the guards, and it's like, yo, you know, we just need a get right game. We need the fight. We need the game where we're ten times better than our opponent, and we're just gonna go in and we're gonna kick their ass. And then when you go in with that mindset, and then suddenly you get punched in the face a couple times, and it kind of like steadies you down a little bit. And and I don't know if it was that because there were, I mean, Josh Allen, I didn't think looked good on on Sunday. Like he was throwing passes up there for the Jets where the DB should have come down with it. I mean, there were. I know the drops picked by Bless Austin in the end zone is one that, that definitely stands out. But there were three or four more where Pierre Desir had another one that was dropped where the balls are right in these guys' hands, and they just didn't come down with them. I mean, it could have been either one of those picks. It was Josh Allen was off, and I think Josh Allen kept the Jets in this game. Defensively, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you'll you'll always get a team. Like, this goes back to what we were just talking about. Like, the team always going to fight hard. Like, the Jets the Jets haven't given in. They haven't rolled over and died. Like, they're not just saying, all right, we're just going to take it on the chin this round. Like, it's, it's not what is happening. Like, they do still play hard. And when you have guys that play hard, that's when they kind of rally together. It's why the Jets' defense was able to play so well towards the end of last year. And you look at some of the players and the performances that they had this week. Guys stood out. You know, Neville Hewitt. I don't think he's a necessarily a starting linebacker. Maybe if you have like a CJ Mosley next to him, he could be a pretty good compliment. But 13 tackles, and the guy packs a punch, man. He's Greg Williams loves him for a reason. Avery Williamson, say what you will about his coverage, say what you will about how sometimes he makes takes himself out of position. The guy's a tackling machine. 13 times he was in on somebody. Marcus May getting involved again with 10 tackles despite the fact he was playing that free safety spot. Liked what I saw from Quinn and Williams. The the roughing the passer penalty was bad. He's he's got to not do that, but. Had a I will of- say at least he realized as he was doing it that it was stupid. Oh, yeah, that the reaction was great. He said, "What? I didn't do anything." Like, yeah, yeah, you're you're guilty. So at least yeah. there was there was like a realization there that he was making Progress. a mistake. Baby steps. But I mean, he had the sack. <laughs> he had another play where he came in on Josh Allen and forced a pressure. Man, I thought Quinn and Williams played well. Bryce Huff, like that guy. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that play stood out to me more from any other play from the defense because. It was so fundamentally sound. And like when the Jets talk about Bryce Huff, right, their their undrafted rookie that they grabbed, uh, the guy who we didn't really talk too much about in training camp because there's no preseason and moments to really see these guys shine. What the Jets loved so much about Huff and what what drew what made the Jets so happy that they were able to get him and what Greg Williams has ranted and raved about is like his football acumen. And and the way that he says he goes is like he has things I can't to- can't coach. And he's a very analytically driven player. He does a lot of like the pressures and forget his 4-3 speed and his bench press. He just gets pressures on the quarterback and does things like that. But that play that he made on the end around, that was as football smart as you can have. Because when you're an undrafted rookie or you're a rookie or even you're just any player, like it's so easy to get sucked inside on a play like that. And that's why that play works, that you fake the handoff. The outside linebacker comes crashing in, and even though it's elementary, I mean, I remember learning about this when I was like playing football with my little league 125 pound team. That it was like, whatever you do, you have contained, don't come crashing inside. Still, you crash inside all the time. You want to make the play, so you see the guy come in. The fact that Huff saw the 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 fake come down, didn't even though he's an undrafted rookie, not come crashing down, but remain. Then see the the wide receiver coming around on the end around, and then get up the field, make the play, and not only tackle the guy like kind of near the line, but for like a seven eight yard loss. I mean, that's a huge play. That's a huge play for a rookie to make. And so I think you're starting to see guys, and even Henry Anderson. You know, we make fun of him all the time on this podcast. He was he was involved in and making plays and and surprising me certainly with what he was doing. So I think that um, the defense. I don't know how much of this game. Like I said, I don't know how much of this game was. 
wow, the defense was so good, or wow, the defense really made a play. I mean, they were still busted coverages like crazy. There were pl- times where you're like, oh, the Bills are about to blow this one out. And then Josh Allen would do something weird where you're like, that that was a bad play. And then, you know, whatever. But I think I was, uh, I, I, I saw enough from the defense. I saw pieces on defense where I was like, you know what? That was a good individual performance. That was good from this guy. That was good from that guy. And, and something to hang your hat on. Definitely something to hang your hat on. We got some good questions and comments as well. Uh, one of the Michael Duns is in the chat, Connor. Um, he says the inability of the O-line, be it the players or the scheme by the play callers, to not maintain a pocket constantly collapsing is what lost this game for the Jets. Not a question, but we like to give a shout-out to, to really one of the We haven't really talked about Duns. the offensive line either. Yeah. Um, so well, we I did mention that, that Becton was great, and you know yeah. there was that one burst run by Pirine in that drive where Becton just cleared people out. Um, and you saw that greatness, but, but Michael, he's right. I mean, play after play. And one reason that drive was successful, I think is they were moving Darnold around, but when he was just simply dropping back to pass, there was no time before somebody was coming at him seemingly unaccounted for. Well, the jets, the jets can't block a blitz. That's it. And like they've, they've had this problem since last year. It's the, and teams just do it all the time now. Because the thing about the NFL is, until you prove you can stop something, a team's not just gonna, the team's not gonna just not do it anymore. Like until you show, which is why the Jets see so much covers, cover zero and cover one. Like the Jets see so much cover zero because in a year and a half they've had like one play where they've beaten cover zero. So teams just keep throwing it at them. The 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 pass rush that teams do. I mean, it's not like these crazy complex blitz schemes. It's just stunts. It's the defensive end comes crashing in and the defensive tackle loops around. And the Jets last year couldn't stop it. And the Jets this year couldn't stop it. And the one thing where I go back and I'm like, I wonder if that's coaching. And I honestly think it is coaching is because I watched Brandon Shell last night who got benched by the Jets starting for the Seahawks at right tackle. Cardinals are out there running stunts. Cardinals are out there running guys around. Cardinals are out there blitzing and Shell's picking everything up fine. Like I didn't see that last year. So it's like, I wonder if it's the way Pollock's explaining it or the way that the Jets offensive line coach, I wonder if the way he's explaining it or the way Gase or Dallas, someone's explaining it, or maybe it's their calls at the line, or maybe it's Sam, not the quarterback, not seeing the, the blitz coming to be able to adjust the protection. I don't know, but like something's wrong because the Jets gave up all these sacks and it was just blitzes. And it's like they gave up a sack once when they had max protection. They only ran two guys on patterns and it wasn't a coverage sack. Like I know coverage sacks. It's when a guy holds the ball too long. This wasn't a coverage sack. This was the, the Jets literally had their five offensive linemen, two tight ends, and a running back all in to protect, and they still let up pressure. And Sam Darnold went down before like the ball was even supposed to come out. So I don't, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why the Jets can't pick up a blitz. I don't know why. I know, I know Andrews had a rough game. The guy, the guy that was starting for um, Alex Lewis, Josh Andrews, he had a rough game. I saw several times where he just got beat, and that was a concern the Jets had going into the game. They were worried. They knew that with Alex Lewis in there, they could focus and help Greg Van Roten. Their concern was that when Alex Lewis came out, who do you help? Do you help Greg Van Roten? Do you help Andrews? Like, they didn't know who got the help. Like, who was the guy that, like, okay, we're going to help this dude. We're going to help that guy. Because you can't help both of them. You can help one. You can't help both. And Andrews had a bad game. Like, he struggled mightily. Becton was good. I thought Fant had a, had a decent game there. But, like, those two guys in the middle struggled. And, and the issue right now with, with McGovern is the guy's dealing with a hamstring injury. So he can't, he doesn't have the explosion and the speed to really play like he normally plays. I mean, he's so smart and he's able to tough it out. And like his intelligence is why the Jets want him on the field, but he's not really the player he's been the last couple of years just because he's dealing with that nagging hamstring injury. And, and it's tough. Like it's, it's tough watching the offensive line implode like that because 
I mean, it, it's one thing when you play Aaron Donald and you can't slow Aaron Donald. It's like, okay, well, no one can. But if, if Ed Oliver took over that game, Ed Oliver's a hell of a player. He took over a game. You can't really do anything about that. Good players make make good plays. But this was one where the Bills were just running ordain. Like, there was a player who had a sack. What was his name? That I was like, who the hell is that? Or he had pressure. And I was like, i got to look up his name. I, I can't find it on the sheet. But it was on my play sheet. I'd look up. He was like number 67. And I was like, who the hell is like Zimmer? I was like, who is this, this guy? This guy's like just shredding offensive linemen to get into the back, like sh- like tossing Andrews aside and getting in the backfield to pressure Darnold. I was like, who? It's just, it's basic stunts. It's basic uh, blitzes. It's nothing crazy. And it's just, the Jets have no idea how to pick it up. And I refuse to believe after watching Brandon Shell go out and have success and watching Kalecho Osemele go out before his injury and have success with the Chiefs, I refuse to believe now that it's all the players. Like, yeah, the Jets aren't the most talented offensive line, but when I see Brandon Shell locking down the right side of Seattle's offensive line, and Kalecio Semele in that opener just bulldozing people, it's like, well, why couldn't Frank Pollock and Adam Gase and and Dow, why couldn't they do that? Like, why why were these players scrubs with them that were just cast aside that now they go out and they're suddenly dominating? And I don't, Gase isn't there, like, hammering in on the offensive line. That's Frank Pollock. But Frank Pollock had a bad offensive line last year, and this year they're now struggling again they're a more talented group. They're a better group because they're more talented. But like, they can't do the most elementary things. And the gates are the Jets are running elementary protection schemes, and they're running elementary protection lineups. And like, you're still sitting there, and you're like, why can't you pick that up? Everyone else can. You had a max protection and gave up pressure, like off the bat. It's just, it just, it makes no sense to me. I don't I don't get it. I, again, it, but you made you made reference to it. Like you made reference to it five ten minutes ago, where we were like, well, it's gonna be a new coaching staff thing. It's going to be a new coaching staff. It's going to be a new offensive line coach, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. Maybe Brant Boyer will be back, but it's going to be all new. And and you figure you'll you'll fix it. You'll fix it then. So right now, just focus on the young players. Focus on the guys having some success and, and kind of harping on that. Well, you know who also didn't have a good game on the offensive line yesterday? Uh, old friend Brian Winters on the other side of the ball. So <laughs> stunner there. Maybe that. Maybe the they made the right decision one, right? with that one. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So this is from Ryan Blake. He says, Tim, exclamation point, (laughs) exclamation point. So he got my attention with that. Do you ever notice the lack of leadership on the sidelines during games by Darnold? By Darnold? Uh, No. I mean, well, that's tough when you're watching it from the press box. I mean, look, I don't don't fault Sam for that. I, I don't get on a quarterback. Not everyone's Pat Mahomes. You know, not everyone is Drew Brees in terms of like, not obviously their play style, but I'm talking about how <laughs> like their, their personality of screaming and yelling and, and doing all that. Like Matt Ryan doesn't do that. You know what I mean? Like Russ Wilson doesn't usually, he'll go over he and talk to He also can't guy. pull out a close game, but <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah. Story. <laughs> when Matt Ryan was in his prime, I should say, I mean, they're playing Eli Manning was never like, you can have good quarterbacks that just don't have that alpha personality of. I'm going to go scream and yell in a guy's face. Like, that's just not how they do it. So, honestly, like, you can fault Sam for a lot of stuff. Like, you can fault Sam for his decision-making, his his mechanics. Uh, you can fault him for for uh, the missing guys that are open and, and trying to go for the, you know, throws that are contested when he's got someone wide open. It happened on the pass that he threw to Barrios, which Barrios should have caught. He dropped it. But Chris Hernan was wide open over the middle of the field, and, and Sam should have made that throw. I mean, you can fault. There's There's no... There's there's ample opportunities to, to criticize Sam. The one thing I would never never criticize him for is his leadership. Is that he's a guy that guys love. He's a guy that guys follow. He's a guy that when he talks, guys listen. He just doesn't have that 
personality of I'm going to go scream and yell and, and, you know, grab somebody by the face mask and get them fired up. It's just, that's not how he plays quarterback. And that's not out of the norm. That's probably is the norm for the vast majority of guys that play that position. So if you want to credit, credit that, that's one I would probably, I would stay away from that one. All right. Let's, uh, Derek Crossman had, uh, loyal listener. To- Loyal listener had this to say, Connor, you've kind of ruined his morning Uh, (laughs) as if the Jets weren't bad enough and and Jets talk wasn't depressing enough. Now, Connor is giving me buyer's remorse. He's talking about his iPhone. (laughs) Oh, I'm telling you, man. Like, all right, if I had to upgrade, we were talking about this. I had to upgrade. I hit the two year mark. I can't remember if this was on air because we briefly talked about before off air. Then we talked about again on air. I, I I had to upgrade. I was a ten S. I needed to get I needed to upgrade my phone. And it was like my bat my phone was I literally it was to the point I use my um CarPlay in my car all the time and I can't direct myself to the fridge, let alone like to get anywhere for work. So I always use my GPS. But I used to have to take my phone out of the case, blast my AC, and put my phone like this up to the vent so that the back of the phone would hit like the sixty degree air coming out and cooled off. Like that that's what I had to do with my phone. And I was like Oh, every time. And then, of course, the battery starts going. But honestly, this battery, I had my phone a year and a half and I, I upgraded a little early, like four months early. But my, my my battery life actually lasted better than the vast majority of my other iPhones. It was just the overheating was getting so infuriating. And so I was like, all right, might as well upgrade. And I traded my fo- Best Buy was running like an insane promo where you got like an extra 150 bucks. So I ended up like by trading in my phone, I paid it off early. I had to pay like an extra 200 whatever just to like pay off what was left on the doing the two year plan. But then, like my my uh, cell phone bill like dropped significantly just because of that. Because I never I never told you. I mean, well, I don't know what, what other questions. About. Did I ever tell you guys how like I broke my phone at the at the combine last year, two years ago? Two years ago, right? Because I was at the combine. Yeah, so it was the one year. you were not at. It was the yeah. one you were not at. My uh, and that's actually how I got my 10s. Because I had the 10. So my mom for Christmas bought me one of those Duracell sold like I don't know if they still do. They sell like uh, quick charge packs where like you you rip open the pack and you get it out it looks kind of like this is a rock but from when we went to Hawaii but like it looks something like this with like a plug and you just plug it into the bottom of your phone and it sticks out like this and it's like it just charge right. it's supposed to give you like a two-hour charge fully charge your phone and then you unplug it and you throw it away right. so I'm in Indianapolis at the combine where I'm out of bars like doing the whole networking thing talking to people blah 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 and my phone's about to die. And I'm like, well, I'm not going back to the hotel right now. I don't have, I have my charger in my pocket, but I'm not going up to the bar to leave my phone there. I'll use this thing my mom gave me. So plug it into my phone. I'm like, all right, looks like it's charging. Put it into my coat pocket. Two hours later, I'm like, all right, my phone should be charged. I take my phone out and I'm like, where the fuck, where the hell is the, the <laughs> portable? It's gone. And my pocket snapped off. So I have the, uh. the little charging thing stuck in my phone and that's, so I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll just call Apple. They'll be able to get it out. Apple goes, yeah, sorry, your phone's broken. If you don't have Apple CarePlay, the only the only thing that you can do is try to get it out yourself or get a new phone. I said, like, you freaking kid. Oh yeah. I called my because team. Because you we used all- the not, that was a non-Apple product. Come right. on. Yeah. So I called like, my mom got Looking them all mistake, stocking techie. stuffers for us. Yeah, we all got, yeah, really. We all got them as stocking stuffers. So I called my two sisters. I was like, throw those out right now <laughs> like you want to throw those bad boys out because they do not work they will not be a sponsor of the of the uh can't wait podcast we're not we're not getting duracell's portable charger pack thingies we're, we're out of them those are done um all right so we're gonna end on this comment because i had to hold it we have to do your quiet we have to do your picks we have to oh yeah your okay moment. well from we'll end our comments and questions with this one this is from the big blue knight 
Did you guys watch Mark Sanchez, the best singer? The answer is no. I saw him getting unmasked. So I saw like Janae Coakley who works over at SNY. I saw her retweet it. I think Samini retweeted. I saw like the unmasking. I've never watched that show for obvious reasons. Like that, the whole concept seems asinine to me. Like I'm all for television shows. I'm all for somebody, some network trying to make money, whatever. To come out with something intriguing or dip into your old bag of tricks. Like I saw Weakest Link is back. Like Weakest Link is back. Like Deal or No, yeah. Deal or No Deal's back. Like I see all this like shit that was like around when I was a kid. Like they're all back now. Cause I guess it's like, oh, dip into the old cash cow. Try to milk like a little, a few extra pennies out of this one. The Masked Singer, I actually, when Sanchez did it, I, I didn't realize like, so these famous people actually sing. So they like have, like, even if you can't sing, like the person actually sings with a mask on. And then I guess you guess who they are. I I, I don't know how you guess who, I, I don't know how the, I, that's the last scenario. I, what, all I'm saying is I didn't realize they actually sang. So I have to go back and find Mark Sanchez actually singing. Cause can he carry a tune? Does anyone know? I don't know no. if he can actually, he, I, I never covered him. So I missed that one. I came in at 14. So I'm kind of curious if he could actually sing or not. And I don't know, maybe you can. I saw Victor Oladipo, Ken. That came up on my TikTok. Was Victor Oladipo actually singing <laughs> on The Masked Singer? And he was good. That came he was up good. on my TikTok. <laughs> I love TikTok. I am a TikTok fan. I, oh. The amount of hours I lose in TikTok. Whew. I'm a big TikTok fan. Big. I TikTok myself. Go ahead. Same underscore, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Find me on TikTok. Give me that a follow. That should be a drop. I TikTok myself. Yeah. I t- yeah. Oh, man. All right, we're yeah. going off the rails. Yeah. All right, Marissa. We're, we're still running around 200 Marissa, listeners, so they're still sticking around for my TikTok yeah, talk. We're know. good. They, they the volume's off. The computer just happens to be on. Uh, Marissa <laughs> leads the picks. That was the one last thing we were going to mention. Um, after two big weeks in a row, right? You're yep. what? I haven't five zero oh, and weeks. one in I mean, your I last pushed, six. But yeah, yeah. I'm in a funk, me. man. I am in a yep. funk with my picks. I went, I went two and one this week. Okay, no, officially, no, no. So, so but then I lost two more. Hold on. So this is a very yeah, bring us up in the comments. They debate. Yeah. Attention, chat. This is a very important discussion, and I need everyone to get ready to weigh in on this. So we make our picks usually for our second episode of the week, but we did this episode on Wednesday night, and I had made my picks me. by Wednesday night. Tim made his picks by Wednesday night, but Diva Connor said, "Oh, I can't make my picks yet." Because <laughs> Diva Connor. Oh, it's man. too early. Blah 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 blah. Got to wait for the spreads to settle. Yep. So Wednesday we was a little early. Wednesday okay, was a little early. Fine. Fine. We didn't make our, well, we made, Tim and I made our picks, but Connor did not. So the Thursday night football game happens. The Giants cover versus the Eagles. So after the game, Connor, or this is Friday morning, I think at this point. Yes, Friday morning. Connor texts us his picks with the Giants pick included. And I was like, are you kidding me? The Giants played the game last night. I could pick the Giants covering too. Woohoo, like. I Shocker. did bet them. I had he the bet goes, slip. I swear. So he he shoved, he shows his bet slip. But here's the topic. I believe that he picked that. Yeah. But Obviously, you Giants, can't deny that. <laughs> okay, yes. But he did not make it for our picks. And if the Giants did not cover, there was no way Friday morning he you was going to send uh, us that pick. There's think, no uh, way. There's no way Connor would have been honest enough to say, hey, guys, I picked the Giants. They didn't cover. So mark that one as an X for me. Yeah, right. So I, don't I think would have, fair. Marissa. I would have. No. I am an no. honest man. My mother raised me right. Yeah, right. I bet your mother would agree with me. So, so the question, no the question is, <laughs> I, well, we want to hear from everybody else, right? If you're yes. if you're checking out the, the chat on YouTube, Just right, let us know. Just write Team Marissa or, and Tim or Team Connor. Right. 
Right, and if actually if you're um, if you're listening you to can't this talk podcast, about West he's in front of my on the athletic app, you can comment there too. Wherever yeah. you're or checking on, this out, or tweet, on Apple, just get Spotify, it just tweet it. Yeah, Team Marissa and Tim versus Team Connor, because there is no way that Connor Hughes would have picked the Giants in our picks if he if they lost that game. He would have picked a different game. There's you know, no way he would have been honest and said, I picked this game and they lost. So give I me did genuinely like the Giants. Start the weekend. I did genuinely like the a, Giants uh, at three and a half. I did like them. Yeah, I, liked, I thought it was going to be close. I thought it was going to be close. Oh, no. Like a three point Our game. first comment from Joe. Team Connor. What? Brian. Yeah, let's go. No, no, no. That's not the first one, though. We have a uh, oh. LOL typical Connor. Okay. Derek, loyal listener, Team Marissa and Tim. Yeah, um, Wes Masterson said, Connor, she's right. Oh, so yes. man, that's they're getting get, I see some Marissa and Tim coming in here. So yeah. if this, if these year-long or season-long picks come down Michael to Michael Dunn, leave one, my mom out of this. <laughs> if, I love Michael Dunn. If they come down to one game, you better believe that I'm going oh, this to is have gonna come an back. asterisk on this yeah. week. Uh, my, my repeat is pick champion. You don't have to worry about because that because I'm in a Because last year it came down to the final weekend. Last yeah. year it came down it to... So I really don't think... Connor would have been. I'm gonna start picking the Thursday night games on Friday mornings too now. Connor. Yes. So, I swear I picked it. I I, uh, I you don't have to worry about because I'm in a rut. Like my funny thing is is that if I just picked the games that I bet for can't wait, like I would actually be fine. Like I would be largely fine and I'd be profiting. My problem is that like Whitman agreed with me too. I, I get like the early win and I'm like all right. Let's start doubling down. And then I start picking games that I didn't like originally, but I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of like this one. I put like last, like yes, yesterday, I'm driving to the game. I had my three bets in. I had Kansas City minus three and a half. I actually doubled down on the Chiefs at plus at minus nine and a half because that line went to seven. So I bought it back, back to 9.5 because I bet it originally at nine and a half. Then when it went to seven, I bought it back again at nine and a half for extra, for extra points. So I did that one and I was like, okay, so I have the, the cheat or I had the Giants one that won that covered and I got the Daniel Jones rushing so I had those two that covered then I had my uh Chiefs and I had the Seahawks who I liked a lot who if it wasn't for that first oh my god if they just kicked the field goal to keep a six-point lead I win that bet too but they of course jump get the personal foul first down and end up scoring a touchdown and they don't cover and they actually lose outright so that kind of pissed me off but I would have had that I would I would have been fine with just those three games I'm driving in the game, and I'm like, oh, man, everyone keeps talking about the Patriots as an obvious cover over the 49ers minus two. Immediately bet that one. Then I'm at the game. The Jets line drops below 10. The Jets line goes to nine and a half. I'm like, oh, I think Jets lose this game by probably 10 points. I'll take nine and a half. Immediately, they lose that. So now suddenly, instead of being two like two and one, three and one day, I'm going to two and two. And it's like now I'm I'm not profiting anymore. So it's oh I'm just you I'm just, in just such start a making your bets after the games happen. You'll probably be more successful. You're so, oh my like god, you I hate you so much. I hate you so much. <laughs> oh my god, that's a good one though. I'll give you credit, but that was a good one. That's a good one. Shane, All right. So as we way. say goodbye, by the way, the spread for the Chiefs Jets game next week, 20 and a half. We kind of talked about that last week, what it could be. 20 and a half. We'll see if it moves a little bit between now and our second episode of the week. Uh, we probably won't be betting on it either way. Although, Connor won't have made honestly, if, if that comes down a little bit, I'd be tempted to take the Chiefs. We'll see. But uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of the pod. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Connor's at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa's at Marissa underscore Morris. We will be back later in the week. We'll talk a little bit about the Chiefs and more about this Jets team. We saw a few little glimmers of hope this week. We'll talk to you again next time.